وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم <coughs> ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us our fasting and our prayers and our recitation of the Qur'an in this blessed month we are uh, in session 2 now of glimpses from the lives of Ahlul Qur'an Ahlul Qur'an, the people of the Qur'an and as we mentioned in the beginning last time Ahlul Qur'an, Ahlullahi wa khasatu the people of the Qur'an are the special people of Allah are Allah's special people people of the Qur'an and um, it will be said to a person in the hereafter it will be said to them recite and for each verse that they recite they will go higher and higher in their ranks and so the people of Qur'an are very important um, last week we it, it was more of a personal touch this week we're getting into people who are more famous in a sense and what these people who are more famous uh, one of the things that's kind of important to think about or to recognize is that this is a generation of reciters that came for example first when radio began like radio just began so before you can't hear a reciter that you're not there for in person but now all of a sudden you can hear recitations that you didn't hear before and then uh, recording devices become common so someone can record a recitation of the Quran um, and you can maybe get it on like a CD or so, uh, not a CD but a record or later on a cassette things that were totally unheard of before um, and then of course the television comes so these these reciters that we're going to start getting into are kind of like the people who uh, are in the hearts of the Muslims around the world because it's their recitations that open the door to this possibility of even having these record these recordings and these broadcasts. So um, the one that we're going to start with today is Sheikh Abul Aynain Shaisha. Sheikh Abu Aynain Shaisha, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Um, both of the reciters that we're going to cover today are uh, Egyptian, and probably next week the same, and the week after that will probably be the same. Next week we'll probably do Sheikh Al Minshawi and Sheikh Al Husuri, and then the week after that we'll probably do Sheikh Muhammad Rifat and Sheikh Muhammad Al Saifi, Rahimahullah Ajma'in. Um, and that will take us to the end of Ramadan, subhanAllah. So, uh, but today, Sheikh Abu Al-Aynain, Sha'isha. I didn't really plan it well. I probably should have done like Sheikh Mustafa Ismail or Sheikh Abdul Basit or someone, but maybe we'll have extra sessions. We'll see. Uh, Sheikh Abu Al-Aynain was born in 1922. Something that's kind of interesting about him is that you have kind of like the first generation of reciters in the early 1900s. And then you have kind of like the middle 1900s, and then you have the later period. And of course, then there's today. Sheikh Abu Al-Aynain was born in 1922, but he had a long life. So he witnessed actually all of those generations, in a sense. Like the first of the generations are, uh, the first generation is people like Sheikh Muhammad Rifat and Sheikh Muhammad Al-Sayfi, rahimahumullah. And he, he witnessed them. And then, the, and then he died in 2011. So he went through all, all of these different, uh, different individuals and figures. So he was born in 1922 in a town in uh, Kafr sheikh called, uh, I think it was called Bila. And uh, he actually, his father wanted him to be a dhabit. He wanted him to be like a police officer or... You know, someone to it's in the law enforcement um, or in uh, in the military or something like that because they had big builds. And but he even from a very early age loved the Quran. And actually, his father passed away when he was about nine years old. And after his father passed away, some of the other family members they told his mom um, that you know really the place for Abu Aynain is not to do that the place for him is to recite the Quran and to learn the Quran and so on so from the age of 10 he went to 
Kutab, as we mentioned before, the Kutab is kind of like the traditional Quran school in Egypt. You go to the Kutab, you basically learn the Quran to read and write the Quran. Maybe you might memorize some other things as well. Um, and inshallah, um, inshallah, we'll have uh, a session maybe in the in the next month or two with Sheikh Atif from Islamic Center of Irvine and he went to the Kutab as a kid so maybe we'll be able to talk to him a little bit about that um, so Sheikh Abu Aynain he went he went to the Kutab <coughs> at age 10 he basically finished the Quran at age 12 so about two years he spent he memorized the Quran he finished in the Kutab and then he actually became fam- famous as a Qari in his area by age 14 so by age 14 he was known as someone who recites And they would kind of like ask him to recite at different gatherings and stuff like that And um, He you know became known for that again To the point to And then around then is also when he went to Cairo When he was uh, this young And uh, of course you know Cairo is going to be the main city And that's where all of the big figures are going to be Which we'll see also with Sheikh Murani Banna so uh, he's in Cairo He's reciting in different places He's going to the gatherings He's Anytime Sheikh Muhammad Rifat is reciting He's making sure that he's there and so on And you know we're still in the 30s So um, In in 1939 He became an official reciter On the Egyptian radio And um this is like he's how old then he's 17 so he's 17 when he becomes like an official cider on the radio one of the people that you hear and there weren't that many people at that point that were authorized to do this uh, which we'll also see in the story of Sheikh Mahmoud Ali Banna um, you know you have again as we mentioned last time the first reciters on the Egyptian radio when the Egyptian radio first started any radio and uh, in Egypt And when it first started It was uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Saifi And Sheikh Muhammad Rifat And then You know Sheikh Abu Nainain is there From age of 17 1939 He's reciting on the radio as well This happened after he was heard Reciting at the Azza um, Of like the Morning Of Sheikh Khudri Who was one of the Famous scholars of Al-Azhar In that time Sheikh Abu Ainain read at that gathering, and uh, they were Im- people were impressed with how he was reading. So uh, they were like, "Why don't you come to the? Why don't you recite on Egyptian radio?" He's like, "How would I recite on Egyptian radio?" And they're like, you you know, "They arranged for him to have an uh, have a, a, a test for that, which was a very difficult test. Uh, these tests that they used to do were very difficult, difficult, and." Um, but mashallah, he, re- he recited very beautifully. They say that he recited so well that they even brought, like, there was a British, this time it was like British influences very heavy in, 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 uh, in, in Egypt, right? Um, I think this is before independence even. So they brought, like, there's a British guy who's the, you know, working in the radio station and he's not a Muslim. So they even brought him to listen to the Sheikh because they were like, look at this recitation, it's so beautiful. And he's like, you did a good job, you know, <laughs> and like praised him. And, uh, they brought like all these people were listening to the recitation and, and then he, he passed the exam, uh, which again, the exams were not easy, which we'll see also in the, again in the next person. So at that point he becomes, starts reciting on the radio. And one of the things that they want to do is um, and later on, he get, he, one of the things that he becomes... Uh, I wouldn't say he became famous for But he had the honor of And it became known later on Many people didn't even know uh, Initially Which is that Sheikh Muhammad Rifat uh, Died early You know I, When we get to him We'll get to the year I don't remember the year But He died early enough That they didn't have Many of his recordings And uh, Actually the recordings That they had Were basically One of his friends that had this recording thing and would bring it with him to the gatherings and record him like unofficially those are the recordings a lot of the recordings that they have of Sheikh Muhammad Rifat are from that and so these recordings they're on you know old devices and stuff they had gaps in them so at some point they approached Sheikh Abdul Ainain because he was really 
good at copying different styles and they used to say that he has a similarity to Sheikh Muhammad Rifat. So they asked him to come in and record these pieces that are in between and fill in the gaps in Sheikh Muhammad Rifat's uh, recording so that they can be complete. And he was like, of course, this is like uh, they say like uh, it's on my it's on my eye my eyes in my head it's like you can put it above me like it's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything for him um, because you know he's like Sayyidna he's the Sayyid of the of the reciters Sheikh Muhammad Rifat so he, he said I'll do that I'll do that for free like you don't have to even pay me for that I'll just do it and um, you know so he had that honor of filling in those those gaps he he does have um Later on in life, he also worked uh, with Sheikh Mahmoud Ali Banna, who's next, and Sheikh Abdul Basit to start a niqaba for the reciters, which is kind of like a union, or a, I don't know if there's a better word for that, but um, um, yeah, um, the a union, so to speak, for the reciters. He was part of starting that. There's a cool story that I heard him tell in one of his. Um, uh, some of his interviews and this is like he tells it in multiple interviews and pieced together the different pieces that when he was young and he was like trying you know and gather going to these quran gatherings trying to learn as much as he can and when sheikh muhammad rifat would um recite this is before there's microphones like uh, and speakers and stuff so if you don't go early and get right in front you're not even going to be able to hear the sheikh so he would go super early and he would sit like right in front of the the uh, uh, what do you call that? Not the podium, but the the elevated the platform. He would find a spot like right in front of the platform and uh, listen to Sheikh Rifat. And, and Sheikh Rifat was blind, so they said that uh, he he says that after one of these gatherings, you know, he kind of like comes down off the platform and he's just sitting with the people and talking to the people, meeting them and stuff. And one of the people told Sheikh Muhammad Rifat, they said, yeah, yeah, Mulana, there's someone who's come out who recites very, in a way that's very similar to yours. And uh, before this man could say who it was that he was talking about, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Rifat said, Abul Aynin Sha'asha. He said his name. And, and, and Abul Aynin is in that gathering, right? Like he's sitting there and he's watching this and he hears the Sheikh mention that he knows that there's a similarity in, in, in the way that they recite um, and that he's heard him like the fact just just the idea that this huge sheikh has heard him as this young man and as this early reciter um, he said that he got up and he started to started to kiss Sheikh Muhammad Rifat he grabbed him he kissed him he said I kissed him in his head I kissed him on his feet on his arm like anything I could grab I kissed him and uh, and the sheikh was like because <laughs> like, he's again he's blind he can't He's like, to me, like, who are you? And he said, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Fulan, I'm, I am the person that you just mentioned. And he said that when he said that, Sheikh Muhammad uh, Rifat grabbed him and he squeezed him and he held him and he said, yeah, you know, like he was excited to meet him and so on. And he said, don't leave me, don't leave me. And like, you know, this began a relationship between them where you know he the student with the with the sheikh and they they were you know able to be together for the amount of time that they had um he also uh sheikh uh, sheikh abul had the distinction of at a very young age again being the first egyptian reciter like in this modern period the first egyptian reciter in masjid al-aqsa masjid al-aqsa so apparently they heard him there, some of the people in charge there, and they invited him for a three-month stay in 1940. So in 1940, they invited him for a three-month stay. Um, you know, this is before the war. Um, uh, like, it's not before occupation in a sense, but it's before the war. Um, and and three months he spent there reciting and people knew him and so on and so forth. So at nineteen in 1940, which would make him how old? Again, he was born in 1922. So he's the first Egyptian reciter to be in Masjid al-Aqsa as like the reciter of, of Friday prayer before the Friday prayer for a three-month stay when he was 18 years old. SubhanAllah. Like, 
and uh, you know he lived his life in the service of the Quran. They say that one of his favorite du'as was Ya Rabbi, la tahrimni min khidmati kitabik hatta anqaq. Ya Rabbi, la tahrimni min khidmati kitabik hatta anqaq. He used to they say he used to repeat this du'a over and over and over again, which is Oh my Lord, don't. Uh, don't prevent me from the service of your book until I meet you. Until I meet you. So basically, like as long as I'm alive, Allah, let me be in the service of your book. And um, you know, this is the way that he he lived his life. Of course, he was the head of a whole lot of different things, different competitions, different. Th- he recited in all these different places, um, as you would expect. And he actually didn't pass away until. 2011 at the age of 89 2011 at the age of 89 so he lived a long life in recitation and in service of the Quran um, it's said that he was very close with Sheikh Mustafa Ismail they had like a personal friendship um, they would travel together they would do different things by the way there's gems if you can understand Arabic there's things that are um Sheikh Abul Ainain, you can actually find interviews with him on YouTube because he died so late. So you can find like video interviews with him. Uh, but Sheikh Mustafa Ismail, I just found today, it's like a two and a half hour segment of him talking about his own life. I didn't click it yet, so I'm not sure quality or how good it is or anything like that. Sheikh Mahmoud Ali Banna, the one that's coming next, I, I found an hour and a half clip of him talking about his life. He was interviewed and he's talking about his life. So it's really amazing to listen to them. Um, so the first one again Sheikh Abul Anain Sha'isha uh, I'm going to show you now A picture hmm. Let's see how I can do this I want to show you This picture While uh, So you should be able to see it this is a picture of the Sheikh, and at the same time that I leave the picture up, I want to play a recording. And let me know if you can hear this. Okay, so I'm going to put this in the beginning, we'll leave the picture of the Sheikh up, and then we'll listen to this recording. Um, and then we'll continue afterwards. Not to be confused with, by the way, Sheikh Abdul Fattah Sha'i. They're two different people. Um, but similar era, you know. So that's Sheikh Abdul Ainain. 
Now we move on to Sheikh Mahmoud Ali Al-Banna. Sheikh Mahmoud Ali Al-Banna. Uh, Sheikh Al-Banna is one of my personal favorites. I like Sheikh Al-Husri, of course, because of his um, his accuracy and his precision. And I like Sheikh Al-Manshawi because his recitation is like water flowing. But there's something smooth also about Sheikh Mahmoud Al-Banna's uh, recitation. Which, uh, you know, the clip that I have to show is a slower recitation. But if you listen to his regular speed recitation, it's very, it's, it has a nice flow to it. Uh, one of the nicknames for him was, uh, that they came up with him was Sautun Tuhibbuhu Al-Malaika. Sautun Tuhibbuhu Al-Malaika. And uh, the story behind this is that his son, uh, Ahmed, Sheikh Ahmed Mahmoud Ali Banna, is also a Qari. And his daughter wa- is a journalist and a writer. So his daughter wrote a book about her father's life, Sheikh Mahmoud. And as she was writing it and she was trying to come up with a name for it, uh, like a subtitle name, she w- they couldn't decide something. And uh, in, that, in that process, someone called Sheikh Ahmed, his son, and told him, you know, I had a dream last night. Let me tell you about it. He said, what happened? He said, I had a dream that um, that like we were s- some people were sitting in a room and they were listening to a recording of Sheikh Mahmoud. And someone walked into the room and they were like, yeah, wh- wh- who is this voice? What is this beautiful voice reciting the Qur'an? And they told him, this is Sheikh Mahmoud Ali al-Banna. And then he said, yeah, this is a voice that is beloved to the angels or this is a voice that is loved by the angels and so you know when he heard that dream from uh, from this person who just called him told him and he told his sister you know this is what you should use and they were like yeah this is what we're going to use so it's so to al-mala'ika so he was born in December of 1926 in a town called Shubra Bals in Manufiya, uh, which is like Western Delta in Egypt. Um, and subhanAllah, there's some really interesting things that happened in his early years. So for example, he, he was born to a, his father and mother, you know, were normal righteous people. And uh, he had an older sister, but all of the sons that were born before him would die. So either there'd be like a miscarriage or they die after a few days or they die young. They didn't have any sons that were living. And his father really wanted to have a son. So, um, you know, when he was born, his father made like this really sincere dua that like, Oh Allah, if you, if, if like this son of mine, if you keep him alive, I'm going to dedicate him to the Quran. I'm going to dedicate him to the Quran. And, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, he lived and the father did what he said he was going to do, which was that he dedicated him to the Qur'an. So he went to the Qutab at the age of five. At the age of five, he went to the Qutab, the Qur'an school. And also one of the things that happened when he was a baby, which we'll come back to afterwards uh, or later on, is that his mother took him to a Sayyid al-Bedawi. So one of the things that's very common, and she made a particular du'a there, which I'll mention. One of the things that's common in many traditional places, and especially in areas of Egypt that are close to Tanta. Tanta is, again, on that western delta route towards uh, Skandaria. If you take the train, you'll, you'll probably, st- like, there's a little break at, at Benha, and then there's a little break at uh, Tanta, and then you get to Skandaria if you take the one that has stops. So... Um, one, one of the things that's common there is that people will revere the burial site of Sayyid Ahmed al-Badawi. And Sayyid Ahmed al-Badawi is one of the great saints of Egypt. He's very well known there. Um, and so, you know, like they'll celebrate the, his birth, his mawlid. They'll, people will go there and make dua for things, and believing that this is a sacred place because of the person who's buried there. Um, so when she, when she had uh, Mahmoud, her son Mahmoud, she took him when he was very small to visit Sayyid al-Badawi. And when she was there, she made dua and she asked Allah to make her son from the servants of that masjid, Masjid al-Ahmadi, 
Masjid al-Ahmadi, which is where Sayyidina Badawi is buried. So she, she made this dua in particular that her son can be a servant of that masjid, which we'll come back to later. So all of the, both of these things are happening in his, his infant years, and then he's going to uh, the Qutab at the age of five, and he finishes the Qur'an around the age of ten. There's different nine, ten-ish. Um, and he's the youngest like kid in his town to finish the Qur'an at that time. You know, he's the youngest. Uh, him being the youngest though and, and his father having pledged what he pledged His father wanted to continue his journey So I want to enroll you in one of the Azhar schools An interesting point here by the way Is that The interviews that I listened to from him And from his son Are different than what you find written in the articles online I don't want to get into like too much technicality But uh, The names of the school And like what happened in it I kind of feel like Wikipedia put something and all the articles that I found in Arabic basically just took from Wikipedia. And it's not, it doesn't actually direct, it, it, it's slightly different than what's mentioned in, uh, in his own, talking about his own life. So what actually happened, so if you read it you might find things that are slightly different, is that his father wanted him then at that point to become a scholar. You know, he had dedicated him to the Quran, to learning, and so he took him, he wanted to put him in the Al-Azhar school. But the Azhar school had an age limit. He was too young to go into it. So they started to ask around and they found out that in Tanta there was a Mahid called Mahid al-Minshawi um, that didn't have an age limit. They didn't like turn away students because of their age. So they took him to study there and they enrolled him there. And he's like 10, 11 years old, right? He's staying away from home now. And there were other students who were there that were a little bit older than him who were from his same village and stuff. So they set up their room and accommodation with him and they said, take care of our son and whatever. And uh, he began to study there to become a scholar, right? So he's studying grammar. He's studying all of the different sciences that you would study to become a scholar. And after he spends a little bit of time there, you know, one of the things that he's doing because he loves the Quran is that Tanta at that time is a major center of Qurra. It's a major center of reciters of the Qur'an. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Saudi, um, many others, I, I, I don't recall their names right now, but there, there are many people who are big reciters there. And so he's going to these recitings whenever he can, and he had a special gift for being able to copy other reciters. So, you know, he already he's a Hafiz and he goes to these recitations and he's able to re like copy these different people's styles. And he would come to school and sit with his friends and stuff and they'd be like, okay, do so-and-so and he would do it. Okay, do so-and-so and he would do it. And they have these like little, this is what they were doing as kids, subhanAllah. And, uh, but at the school, there was a kind of like a supervisor who was very shadid, who was very severe on the students, very strict with them. He used to walk around with like a... Uh, a switch basically like a, a stick and if the students get out of line he would smack them and stuff like that so so they're sitting one time and, and the sheikh is reciting you know as a small kid to all of his friends and stuff and then he looks up and all of his friends are gone it's like where did, where did they go and he realizes behind him that that this this man had came uh, sheikh hussein and when he sees him he starts to get up to like go and he says no 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 like sit, sit where you are and keep reciting i want to hear you know, like your recitation. So he's he's reciting and he's like, you know. So this man actually tells him, he says, you know, uh, Mahmoud, you really, you should go to Sheikh Ibrahim Salam in Al-Masjid Al-Ahmadi. In the Masjid of Sayyid Ahmad Al-Badawi, you should go to Sheikh Ibrahim Salam there. And he'll teach you the Qira'at because you really, you have a gift in this, you have a future in that. And uh, when he heard that, that was that was the turning point for him. He was like, you know what, I'm going to do that. So he goes to uh, the Sheikh Ibrahim Salam, who is also an interesting character, it seems. Um, he also was blind. SubhanAllah, look how many of these people were blind. SubhanAllah. So he told him, go to him, he's going to teach you the seven qira'at. There's ten major qira'at. The major, major amongst the ten are the seven. So he tells him, you can go there to the masjid, he'll teach you the seven qira'at. And what, what it is, is that the Sheikh sits there, and he... Uh, decides whether or not he's going to admit students by listening to them. So, you know, your turn comes up and the sheikh is sitting there, he's blind and he's like, and the, you start reading 
and then he'll respond. He responds with either one of two things. Uh, the first thing is that he doesn't approve of your recitation, and he says, Imshi, Imshi kun mekwaji or something. He, every person he tells them something different. Like, go away and become someone who like irons clothes. And you go away and become a tailor. And you go away and become a carpenter. And, you, and he's like, and every person he would tell them, go away and be this, they, that's actually what they would become. Like, without his vision, he, was, he had some sort of like spiritual insight. Like he knew what these people would become. So he tell him, you go and do this, you go and do that. But and if he liked the person, he would say, Allah iftah alayk, tfaddal. Like may Allah open things for you and sit down and uh, like you can you can join the gathering. So when Sheikh Mahmoud came and he recited to him, and Sheikh Ibrahim's like, okay, go ahead, tfaddal, keep going, keep going. And he liked it. So he said, Allah iftah alayk, yabni, tfaddal with me. And like he sat and he learned from him. So he joined his circle and he started to learn from him. He started to learn the the details of the rules of recitation because first they would memorize. It's first priority they would memorize and then they clean it up, especially with the smaller kids. So uh, then he learned the details of recitation. He learned all of the rules, like he memorized the books that talk about the rules. He memorized the different qira'at. And he learned all of that with Sheikh Ibrahim Salam. And then uh, the Sheikh told him in 1944 that it's time for him to go to Cairo. 1944, which makes him how old? 18. 1926, he's born. 1944, he tells him, Khalas, like you took from me what you can take from me. You need to go to Cairo. And that's where like the big people of recitation and you'll really benefit when you go there. So you should go there to learn more. So he leaves for Cairo at the age of 18. And the only thing that he was doing there was going to the gatherings of recitation and trying to benefit however he could from these gatherings. So if he hears, uh, you know, anyone who's reciting in this period and he would go to the gatherings, he would sit there, he would sit and try to learn from them, develop relationships with them, Sheikh Mustafa Ismail, others. Um, And eventually he became a Qari through going to these gatherings and like meeting people and stuff. Eventually he became a Qari for the Young Men's Muslim Association. It's like a YMMA. Shubban and Muslimin and they used to have these big gatherings and stuff so then what happened was around this you know around this time they they used to have this yearly gathering at the Hijri New Year the Hijri New Year they would have this big gathering and they would have like a a play theater type play uh, something in Islamic history and it was like a big production they would do it at Dar Obra the opera house in Egypt and so in 1947, this Young, Mes- young Men's Muslim Association has their play on the, on the New Year. And at this point, he's been, uh, he's been selected specifically to be the official Qari of the organization. So he's the official reciter of the organization. Anytime they have gatherings, they bring him, he recites some things. And he's like 21 at this time, right? So they have this gathering and every, all these prominent people are there and the Egyptian radio is there and they're going to broadcast the play and uh, they go to broadcast the play and the head of the organization tells them and this is our Qari to Sheikh Mahmoud Ali al-Banna he's the official Qari of the Young Men's Muslim Association he's going to start us off by reciting Quran and the Egyptian radio at that time was very very strict that if you haven't been approved to recite on the radio like you sat, you had your test you were approved in this difficult examination like we mentioned in the last one if you haven't been approved like that you can't be on the radio so they have like a little bit of back and forth. They're like, finally, okay, fine. He won't recite on the broadcast. But let listen to him afterwards. So they do the broadcast. They do the show, everything else. And they stop the broadcast. And the people who were there from the radio station and stuff says, okay, now uh, recite. And they listen to him recite. And they're just amazed by him. And they're like, okay, you need to have your exam to come and become part of the radio station. Let's set it up for tomorrow. And um, they go and... Um, he has this exam when he goes in for the exam he said that his exam lasted about two hours lasted about two hours so in the exam you sit with the other shiyukh of the Quran they ask you anything any piece of a verse from the Quran they ask you 
and you're like, there's ten Alam Yasiru fil Ard, which one do you want? They're like, We want the one in this surah. You have to bring it. Boom. Start reciting. As you're reciting, they'll ask you, What's the rule here? Okay, the rule of the recitation that's there. What's the evidence for that rule from this text? And you have to know the text. Like you just have to be completely encompassing this knowledge. You have to really know your stuff. So he goes through this exam for two hours. And after two hours, they're like, Alf Mabruk, you passed. Like you're official now. You're an official, you can become an official reciter on the radio. And he's barely like just over 20 years at this point, right? And uh, so they, you know, they tell him this is going to be your first thing. And, and there's no recordings at this point, right? So like when there's the morning recitation of the Quran on the Egyptian radio from 7 to 7.30 every morning, the actual Qari has to come into the radio station, recite live on air every single day. Right, so when he's when he's being recruited to recite for the radio station, it's not like we're gonna do a recording. You can make mistakes and then fix it, and then we'll like put you in. It's like you have to actually get you come and you do it live. Okay, so he he comes for his first session, and uh, the lady who's like the broadcaster, she does her introduction to him. She says really nice things, and I think her name was Sophia, Mohandas Sophia or something like that. And she, she introduces him and he sits down and they tell him his piece that he's supposed to recite. And he starts to recite and he's like, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. But he's so nervous that he can barely get his voice out. Like it's, like he can't finish the sentences. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And then he kind of like starts and he gives, he gives her kind of like a signal that he needs to cough. Uh, so like cut off the mic because he needs to cough. And as soon as he gives her that signal and she cuts off the mic, before he can do that, she, she knows because she's experienced. She knows what's going on. So she looks at him, she says, Yeah, Sheikh Mahmoud, like so beautiful your recitation. It's so nice the way that it's coming out and you're right and you're so wonderful. And she like really gives him like his words of encouragement so that he could like be filled up. And then they turn the mic back on and he, he goes in. And he starts reciting, he recites his piece. Uh, of course, he hadn't slept the night before, everything. Like, he's afraid he's going to miss the, the, the meeting time. He didn't sleep the night before. He's reciting it over and over and over and over and over again. And subhanAllah, the section that he had, the very last piece, uh, verse of the section that he had, ends with, وَمَا إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ Which is a famous verse in the Qur'an that says, And my um, guidance or, or the ability that I have to do things only comes from Allah. This was the section that he had, subhanAllah, in that first uh, recording. Uh, so she, she really helped him, subhanAllah. And of course, at that point now, he's on the Egyptian radio. He becomes um, more famous and stuff like that. Uh, one of the people who interviewed him, they, they asked him, like, so what did, like, how did your mother feel about it? You know, they, put you through the, they put you through the kutab and so on and so forth. And he said something beautiful. He said, he said, He's like, these people that came from like the villages, they were simple believing people. They, they worshipped Allah, they believed in Allah, they recited the Qur'an, they loved the Qur'an. They remembered Allah all the time. He's like, they were just barakah. He said, when he went and he spoke to his mom about the recitation, she said, uh, uh, she said, every single ayah, that he finished, she made du'a for him. Every ayah. Every time he finished the ayah, she's like, Allah yafta halik ya abni. Allah yafta halik ya abni. Allah wafaqib ya abni. Every ayah. For the whole recitation, <laughs> every single verse that he recites, she's making du'a for him after uh, after the recitation of the verse. Allah yurham uh, His full muratal recitation of the Qur'an was done in the 1960s. And the story behind that was that basically... Uh, the president of Egypt at that time was uh, Abdul Nasir and apparently his father had passed away so they had a gathering you know reciting Quran they always have recitation of the Quran at these gatherings and him along with uh, I want to say Sheikh Mustafa Ismail were at the gathering um, but you know it had to, I think Abdul Nasir had to leave early or something like that so they contacted him and they told him the next day come to the home the residence and uh, bring someone with you who who can come so he said al-husri he brought al-husri with him and they they're reciting uh, in front of the president 
and uh, as he's reciting the president told him actually I want to hear they, they do mujawad usually mujawad's like the slow style in these gatherings and stuff but he told him I want to hear your murattal I want to hear the one that's just like normal recitation and so he did that and he said it's very like he was they were impressed by it he said it's so beautiful have you like how come you don't have it recorded yet as an enti- entire Quran recorded like that yet uh, so he says you know they didn't ask me to do it basically and whatever so then at that point the government put the command that his murattal Quran should be recorded and uh, he finished it in 26 days 26 days he finished the whole Quran and they would sit it wasn't like you know he just sit and do it they said that they would sit and there would be other shiukh there and they'd review it together like where's the best place to stop where should we stop where should we not stop just like how should I do it this and that and so that when when the because these recordings were meant to be like hujja they're a proof in a sense like if you want to know how to read the Quran you can just go to the recording you go to the murattal of Mahmoud Ali Banna you go to the murattal of Shaykh Al-Husri and it's as if you're sitting in front of the Shaykh because they they do it so uh, perfectly so he did that in less than 30 days since the late 60s um, and of course he also traveled all over for as a reciter of the Quran um, all over the world Southeast Asia Central uh, South Asia uh, many different places and uh, one of the most I think powerful and beautiful stories about this was when he went to Medina and he was invited to recite the Quran in Medina uh, in the Masjid of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the Rauda so the Rauda is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said there's a garden there's a space between my grave and my pulpit that is a garden from the gardens of paradise and that's the Rauda so he's invited to recite Qur'an there. And they said the first day when he sat down to recite, he started to cry and he couldn't. Just out of like sitting here next to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam reciting in his masjid, he couldn't do it. So they're like, Manish, you know, we'll try it again the next day. So the next day he comes and the next day Allah inspired him to go to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, say salam to him and ask his permission. So he went to him and he said, As-salamu alayk ya Rasulullah, asta'athinuk aqra'an Qur'an fi masjid al-kani. Like, you know, he went to the Prophet and had this conversation with him. Tell him, I seek your permission that I recite the Qur'an in the masjid and so on. And then he sat down and he was able to recite the Qur'an. And he started by reciting the verse, um, uh, What is it? Muhammadun Aba Rijani Walakin. The verse that says that the Prophet that Muhammad was not the father of any of you and you know he was a man and if he passes, then are you gonna give up your belief? This famous verse about the passing of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that happened in the battle of uh, related to the battle of Uhud because they thought that the Prophet Sallallahu had died in that battle. So this verse is talking about that scenario. And then he gets to uh, And they said when he got This verse says And we sent you as a witness And a bringer of glad tidings And a warner about the Prophet So he's reciting all these verses About the Prophet Like sitting next to the grave of the Prophet So they said that when he got to this verse The whole place just like explodes and everyone's crying and like nobody can control himself <laughs> and it's just and everyone's saying like repeat it repeat it and he said that he repeated this verse 17 times and like different you know different flavor on it each time and then you know this was the end of the gathering and uh, that was like this really uh, incredible event when he recited in the Masjid Nabui uh, the last thing that I'll mention is that Related to the du'a of his mother. So we saw all these things that, you know, he did and he went through and he was in Cairo and this and that. And Eventually he was appointed. Like these reciters, they're not going to be uh, your daily prayers imam. That's not their appointment, right? Like you have someone who's appointed as the person who leads daily prayers. You have someone who's appointed as the one who gives the khutbah. And these are all separate jobs. Okay, the one who leads the prayer is is a job, and the one who gives the khutbah is a job, and the one who uh, recites before Juma is a job. 
especially in these big masajid that's like you know you're that's when you've made it basically as a qari if you're the qari of uh, masjid sayyida zainab or you're the qari of masjid al hussein or you're the qari of masjid al azhar or so on and so forth so uh, eventually he was appointed as a reciter on particular days in al masjid al ahmadi the one that his mother had made dua when he was a baby that he would grow up to be a servant of that masjid he was appointed as a reciter in that masjid and held that position from 1955 to 1980. 1955 to 1980, 25 years he held that position. Uh, you know, probably from the barakah of his mother and the dua that she made for him. And uh, eventually from 1980 until uh, the time when he passed away, which I didn't write down on my piece of paper, subhanAllah. I believe it was 1985. Um, from 1980, he was in. Uh, no, this is Sheikh Mahmoud Ali Banna, not Sheikh uh, Abu Ainain, not 2011. Uh, I think it was 1985. Oh, it's the wrong link. Sorry. Let me just find it. I want to be sure. Okay. 1985, yeah, Sheikh al-Husuri was the reciter there until 1980 when Sheikh al-Husuri passed away and then the position went to Sheikh Mahmoud Ali al-Banna and he held the position until he died in 1985 Rahimahullah ta'ala uh, May Allah have mercy on him and give us benefit by him and through him and uh, reward him for what he put forth So now I'm going to put a, a picture of him up and play uh, Actually no, I'm not going to put the picture, I'm going to play the video I have a video of him reciting. Uh, I had to download it myself so that hopefully when we upload it, YouTube won't give us problems. We'll see, inshallah. Um, so this is just a three minute clip, but you'll, you'll see the, um, I mean, he's a remarkable reciter.
Uh, a last thing I'll mention about him is that when it came to uh, his last sickness and the end of his life, towards the end of his life, he actually called his son and he told him, uh, write down whatever I tell you right now. So he said, okay. And he said, we mourn the passing of uh, Sheikh Mahmoud Ali Banna and uh, at the age of um, what was he? You know, 80, 85, 59, at the age of 59. And, um, you know, kill it, kill it, And uh, the son was like, uh, why don't we write, we mourn the passing of him at the age of 79, you know? And his dad was like, Fishwakt, like, we don't have time for that right now. And just write what I tell you to write. And, uh, you know, he told them exactly what he wanted the burial to be like and so on and so forth and then he passed away rahimahullah ta'ala at the early age of 59 um, so may Allah have mercy on him and his teachers and his family and his uh, children and those who have benefited from him and for Shaykh Abul Aynin Sha'isha as well Allahumma ameen sallallahu wa sallam ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala ali wa sahbi subhanaka allahumma wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr illa alladhina amanu wa amilu salihat wa tuasu bil haqq wa tuasu bil sabr